Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Yeah. Hey, I, I want to welcome you today if you're a visitor. My name is Chris. I'm the pastor here at Venture Church. And make you aware that in your seats there was a little packet of pa- papers. Uh, right here, this long skinny card, we call that a connection card. If you've never filled out one of these cards, uh, especially if this is your first time here today or uh, you've only been a couple times, you've never filled out a card, uh, if you wouldn't mind, take a second to fill that out. We've got a bucket. You can drop it in as you leave. A volunteer will be holding that bucket. Bucket. Um, we always make this promise that we won't misuse this information. We're not going to give your information away or show up at your house uninvited or anything crazy like that. We'd just like to know who we're hanging out with and maybe shoot you an email this week, tell you thanks for being here. Um, but thanks so much, everybody, for, for coming, bringing your friends. Today is an awesome day. It's Compassion Sunday. Compassion Sunday. It's a big deal uh, around our church. We do it once a year. Uh, if you don't know what Compassion Sunday is all about, I'll tell you this. There's an organization called Compassion International. Okay, Compassion International uh, brings uh, sponsorship between people of means, like those of us in America, and people living in extreme poverty, specifically to children, helping them have a sponsor that can help to bring them uh, for $38 a month, medical care, education, basic needs for their life, things like clothes and, and, and basic care, and most importantly, connection with a local church in their area, in their village or their city or their town uh, that can love on them and show them the light that Jesus brings into people's lives. And so we take a Sunday every year to highlight uh, not only Compassion International as an organization, but the idea of compassion and the heart that God has for compassion, because specifically when it comes to kids, kids are they're powerless, and they can't represent themselves in this world very well. They can't vote. They can't earn much of a living. They don't have enough experience to make good, wise decisions. Most of us that are adults have a hard time with that, right? And so uh, it, it's important to know that kid, kids, especially kids living in poverty, cyclical poverty, they need an advocate. They need somebody that can step in, uh, stoop down, and grab them up as much as they can to give them a leg up. But most importantly, not just to bring them food or, or shelter, which are very vital needs, but spiritual needs, the light of Jesus in their life. Uh, At our church, we use this phrase a lot. We say, hashtag kids matter. Kids matter. Uh, And so that's not only true uh, on Sunday mornings when we have our our kids classes in the back and we've got our volunteers back there. uh, We always say, you know, this is not babysitting. This is raising a new generation of God chasers. Um, kids matter. Kids matter in our city. Uh, we do very, a very, I think, a good job with our city team. I love the, the crew that's leading the city team of working alongside organizations in our city, like the Bear Foundation, uh, like working through the school, the YMCA, Nourish NC, to be in our city and serve. But I think sometimes we don't realize just how poor the rest of the world is. You know, people living in poverty here are, are heads and shoulders above people in poverty around the world. And so that's why we take a chance. And I'm so glad that there is Compassion International. Compassion International. We're going to talk more about Compassion International in a minute, but this is church. This isn't a com- commercial for compassion. And so I want to take some time instead to talk about compassion specifically and what it means to Jesus. The word compassion is a pretty great word, actually. Uh, we feel compassion in a lot of different ways. Maybe you felt compassion while you were watching your kid play soccer. You ever go out on a Saturday morning and you're watching a kid play soccer and the team's getting beat by like, it's like 14 to nothing at halftime. <laughs> you're like, Oh, poor guys. Like, and you got that one kid who just, like, is scoring in the other team's goal. And you're like, oh, I just wish I could stop. Just don't. Oh. And there's nothing you could do about it. But that feeling that you wish you could help, that's compassion. Uh, if, if you were a Cubs fan in the last few weeks, and you've never been a Cubs fan before, but in the last few weeks you're like, man, I, I would just love to see the Cubs win the World Series. Just one time. It would be awesome. 
on a small level, that's compassion. You see, you see someone suffering, and you want to step in and maybe do what you can about it. If it means buying a Cubs hat, so be it. Uh, we've seen images from Hurricane Matthew, right? I mean, it just devastated the East Coast and several areas in North Carolina. I went with my kids, with my son and my daughter. Uh, my son had a uh, camping trip this weekend, so we drove up to Duplin County. And uh, if you haven't driven through some of these roads where there was some of the flooding that went deep into people's houses, man, we were going down this one road and just outside the houses, it was clear they had stripped out the carpeting, all their furniture, insulation, and drywall from the house had all been stripped out and was just standing in mounds outside of each house in this neighborhood we drove by. And I just looked and I, I saw that. I was like, man, that's so sad. It's so sad. And my heart goes out to them. I just wish, I wish I could just do some more to help them. And maybe you've been one of those people who's like, I got to do something. So you took water or blankets to a drop-off center to help those people. I'll tell you what, that's compassion. Compassion presents itself in so many different ways. The Oxford Dictionary defines compassion like this, a strong feeling of sympathy and sadness for the suffering of others and a desire to help them. A strong feeling of sympathy and sadness for the suffering of others and a desire to help them. So it's like a hybrid. Compassion is like a hybrid between like an emotion and an action. It's not just something you feel, but it's something that compels you to do something about it. The New Testament of the Bible, where we read so much every week at church, it's, uh, originally was written in Greek. And uh, the word that is translated from Greek to compassion is this word, the word splagna. We've got it on the screen behind me, splagna. Splagna is kind of a, a crazy word. Let's just say that together. One, two, three. Splagna. Splagna, literally translated, it just means intestines or guts. Uh, and so uh, when people were talking about their, their intestines or their stomach, they might say splagna. But it was also used in kind of a, a more metaphorical sense. They, they considered splagna to be the inward parts, the seat of emotions, the seat of emotions. And so where we might, uh, as English speakers, say, you know, I love you from the depths of my heart. I love you with all my soul. I love you with the, from the depths of my heart. They would say, I love you from my intestines, <laughs> you know, which isn't very romantic. But it is, it is pretty uh, informative. Like if you've ever had those like butterflies going on, you know, you're really nervous about something. It kind of happens here, right? You got these knots in your stomach. And so I think they had something going there. Splagna. And so uh, in the New Testament of the Bible, the word splagna is used uh, about 12 times, and nine of those times are Jesus talking. And Jesus talks a lot about this idea of compassion, something seated in the inwardmost parts of my being, something that kind of stirs me up on the inside and gets me going. It's not always translated in English as compassion, but that word still remains. Jesus told a story once about compassion that I think we can learn a lot from today. It's one that maybe you've heard. It's one of the most uh, well-known stories from the New Testament of the Bible. People who don't even go to church know the story of the Good Samaritan. You know this story, right? We're going to read that today. It's in Luke chapter 10. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and break that thing out. Uh, you can flip over or scroll down if you've got it on your, your device to Luke chapter 10. Uh, Luke is in the New Testament of the Bible, which is that back third of our Bibles, our modern day Bibles. And uh, Luke is one of the four biographies of the life of Jesus. So we learn about, a lot about who Jesus was and what he did. Uh, if you don't have a Bible today, let me tell you, we do have free ones available. Some of them are scattered underneath the seats here. And uh, you're welcome to pick one of those up. And if you don't have a good readable version of the Bible of your own, take, take that home with you today. We want to give it away as a gift to you. But we're going to look to a story Jesus told in the book of Luke, chapter 10, and verse 25, it's the second half of Luke chapter 10, where Jesus 
talks about the idea of compassion. And when you hear this story, you hear it in a lot of different contexts with a lot of different purposes behind maybe the things Jesus could have been teaching there. But I want to keep the idea of compassion in mind as we read it. So let's just go and jump in. It's also on the screen behind me. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. It says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. So just so you know, as Jesus is traveling around teaching, there are these people who would congregate around him, and some of them were opponents of Jesus. They didn't like the way he taught. They didn't like the way he interacted with people. They felt like maybe he was a little bit too loosey-goosey with loving people because, I mean, we only love a certain kind of people, Jesus. We experts in the law. You've got to have your stuff together. Jesus was hanging out with a different kind of people, and he was teaching them about the love of God. And so the experts in the law, they're standing around Jesus, and they ask him one time. They say, teacher. That was a nickname for him. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? So I love how he does this. He puts the question right back on there. You guys are the so-called experts in the law. What does the Jewish law say? So the guy answers. Well, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, well, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Okay, so we'll pause the story right there real quick. This first part of the story is great. Uh, it's, it's this teaching where Jesus actually agrees with the teacher of the law. Well, a lot of times when they're talking, that doesn't happen. They butt heads a lot. It seems that when the teachers of the law come to talk to Jesus, many times they're trying to trap him. And, uh, and so they're like, what's the greatest commandment? And he turns it back on them. And what, what do you think? What do you, what do you think is important to inherit eternal life? So he comes back with this answer, and it's been famously called uh, the greatest commandment. And summary of it, if I was going to paraphrase it, it's just love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. You boil it down. Actually, at our church, this is uh, where we get our, our three big goals for living. If you're a part of our community, our church family very long, you'll hear somebody say that our goal is to be God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. That sound familiar, right? And if I don't say it often enough, remind me, like, you ain't talking about being a God-chaser in a long time. And this is why. God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents, we, we get that directly out of this, the greatest commandment sections of the Bible. Being a God-chaser is about love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. That's being a God-chaser. I'm going to put God at the center of all my life's decisions, all my passions, all my desires, all the things I do in my life. That's a God-chaser. The second one, being grace-shaped, is taking that to the next level. If we're chasing God, the cool thing is he was already chasing us, and he gives us forgiveness. He gives us grace, and so it's living in that spot, not being shaped by all of life's other things that shape us, our experiences, and all the other things, but only being shaped by his love and his grace. God chasing grace shape. And then love agents. If you look at the second half of that, the greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. And we say we want to be love agents. We want to overflow God's love that's going into our life into the world around us as love agents. That's why we have the city team. That's why we do Compassion Sunday. God chasing grace shaped love agents. So, so Jesus says to this guy, yeah, you, you got it, man. You answered correctly. Do this and you will live. He's talking about spiritual life, right? Connection with God. Do this and you will live. And that's pretty great news, I think. I think it's great news, especially for that guy. He's got it. He's got it figured out. But as I experience life, what I realize is that's way easier said than done. It's way easier to say, I love God and I love people. It's, it's harder to actually do it day in and day out, which is why I think the question that this guy asks uh, next is pretty fair. The text says that, look at verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. So maybe he had some ulterior motives. But I'm going to be honest. Like for me personally, the question he asked is a pretty good question. This is what he asked. So who is my neighbor? 
Like, I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. But who is my neighbor? Like, where is that line? Literally, the person living next to me, does it have to be a family member? Do I have to like them? See, this is real talk. And this is where, as we come in here today, uh, the idea of our neighbor can kind of be a little bit fuzzy. I love what Jesus does here. Instead of giving him like a black and white answer, well, let me uh, give you a chart and show you exactly who your neighbor is. Can you give me your Rolodex of names of people that you know? Neighbor, 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 not neighbor. Neighbor, 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 not neighbor. He doesn't do that. Instead, he tells a story. One thing I love about God is that I think, he, I think he respects our intelligence and our desire to think. And so many, many times when Jesus is teaching, he's like, let me tell you a story. And through that story, I want you to see if you can discern what is right. This is a story he tells, and it's the one that many of you have probably already heard. This is in verse 30. So in reply, Jesus said, he begins to tell a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him, and then they went away, and they left him half dead. Well, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine, which I think sounds like a delicious thing for a salad. I wouldn't want you to do to me if I was hurt, but that's what he does to the guy. Pours on oil and wine. And then he puts the man on his own donkey. He brought him to an inn. He took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, which is money, and he gave them to the innkeeper. And he says, look, look after this guy. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. So he tells the story. Then Jesus steps back and he goes, you tell me, which of these three, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, which of these three was the neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. So Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, the reason Jesus told this story is because the guy said, Okay, I get it. I should love God, and I should love my neighbor as myself. But who is my neighbor? There are three people who pass by the, the, the guy who's been beat up in this story. And I want to tell you who they are and give you a little bit of background. There's the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. The priest, this is Jewish people that are listening. So these, when it says experts in the law, they're experts in Jewish law. We've talked a lot about Jewish law. If you don't understand it, basically you need to understand that uh, the Jewish law was essentially their code of honoring God and how they, they, they found holiness and, and they interacted with God. It was their religion, okay? And so the expert in the law says, you know, uh, about the law, love the Lord your God and, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus says, okay, we're going to teach you how to find out who your neighbor is. First guy that comes up is a priest. The priest is essential to Jewish culture. The, the priest is the one who worked in the temple and offered sacrifices for the people. They were the people's connection to God. This is a very important thing. And so if someone's going to tell a story, this sounds like, this is like caricatures of people, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. It sounds like one of those uh, three guys walking to a bar jokes. Like, and I imagine like this is the type of thing like, okay, the priest and he walks in the story. Now, the, the listeners would go, the priest. Yes, the priest. That's my guy. That's my candidate. <laughs> he's going to be the hero of this story. But then he's not. He just walks right by. So the listeners are like, okay, all right. The priest walks by. Maybe he had somewhere to be. Maybe there's some reasons. I don't know. Then the Levite walks by. Let me tell you about the Levites, okay? The Levites are, are a family group, okay? Basically, uh, all priests are descendants of a guy named Levi, way back in Jewish history. And everybody from the Levite family uh, were involved in priestly duties. And so the, the Levite family 
If they're in a story told to a bunch of Jews, they're typically going to be the heroes of the story because they're very important to Jewish culture. And so the Levite comes. Oh, the priest wasn't a hero. Oh, the Levite. Here comes the Levite. Oh, he walks by too. Huh. Where's the story going, Jesus? And then the third guy walks up, and he is the Samaritan. Now, there's a rich and deep history behind the Samaritan people. Uh, the Samaritans and the Jews, to put it short and, and, and to cut into a lot of history that I don't have time to tell, they didn't like each other. More specifically, the Jews did not like the Samaritans. They considered them half-breeds. There was a lot of racism going on there. They, they didn't like the way that they worshiped God. It was on and on that it went. Uh, so much so that like one of the worst things that a Jew would consider is, is being a Samaritan. Oh, wow, just thank God. They would thank God. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not a Samaritan. They would refer to them as dogs. They would literally, if you came to property owned by a Samaritan person, they'd walk around it, even if it took them an extra day of walking. I'm not making this up. This is how opposed they were to the Samaritans. Picture the moment that Jesus has got this people around him. Jewish people, the priest walks by, the Levite walks by. That should have been a hero. That should have been a hero. The Samaritan walks in, and immediately they're like, Samaritan. This is going to be the villain. This is surely going to be the bad guy. He's going to kick the guy who's down. But you heard the story. It's not what he did. Samaritan comes in, picks the guy up, dresses him for a salad, puts him on his donkey, (laughs) takes him to the inn at his own expense, pays the guy's way, and says, listen, if there's any other cost that comes up, I'm going to cover it. This guy got down dirty and bloody inconvenienced himself, probably put himself in danger. Remember, we're in an area where apparently robbers will jump you. And he takes that on his own, his own self, and he, and he takes care of this guy. And so who was the hero in this story? As much as they hated to admit it, the Samaritan. Who's my neighbor? Anybody that's in need. Even if they're not from your creed or your color or your socioeconomic group, even if they're not someone who you particularly care for, when you see them suffering, they're your neighbor, and you got to do something about it. When Jesus describes what it means to love your neighbor, what he says is basically, it's about action. This is just one example of Jesus telling a story about compassion in action. If you look at Jesus' own ministry, it revolves around healing and spending time with people and, and mourning with people and being with people who are rejected by society, the marginalized, the sick, the broken, the lonely, the untouchables. Jesus was the epitome of compassion. He always stepped out to these neighbors who weren't his likely neighbors. But he would seek them out and he would find them. Even when he got fussed at by other people, Jesus, why are you hang out with these sinners with these bad people. It's just what he did. In fact, the whole reason Jesus was here in the first place was because when, when he was in his full state as God, he looked down at the earth and he saw the suffering in the world. He said, man, I, I've got to do something about that. He didn't just feel the emotion. It was the emotion plus the action that he took. And so he said, I'm going to make myself human, human, named Jesus, and I'm going to give my life for these people so that they can have spiritual renewal and connection with God. So Jesus' very existence in the world as God in the flesh came because of compassion. And that action extended to him getting in the trenches with us and showing us what it means to love through action so that we can model him. And so, which brings us to today, Compassion Sunday. Our, our theme this year is Superhero Sunday, that sponsoring a child could change the world. And there's so much that we can do to show compassion in this world. Uh, I, I think that 
in our church, as I mentioned before, we partner with a lot of other groups in town, and we want to love the children in our city. But man, when you just step outside the just just Wilmington, for one, Wilmington is, is a fairly wealthy place, just into the outer reaches beyond Wilmington. But especially when you leave America, I mean, poverty is such a big thing. And kids matter to Jesus. And when you look at the hopelessness and how poor these people are, there's part of you that just, it ties your knot and stomachs. But man, there's hope. Let me tell you about the hope. Right now, there are about 2.2 billion people in the world who claim Christianity. 2.2 billion people across the world, nearly one-third of the global population, believe in Jesus. These people, by the way, are what you call the church. The church isn't a building, which we all know well because we're in a school cafeteria, right? The church isn't a building. The church is people being active, the hands and feet of Jesus in this world, And the church are the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. And they're moved by compassion to take action, doing his work, spreading his love, shining his light. See, the good Samaritan wasn't a perfect person. He wasn't. I mean, I don't know what his deal was, but we all know he probably wasn't a perfect person. Jesus was the only perfect person. But what set him apart from the priest and the Levite, that they had their religion, that they had their status in society, what set him apart was not their nationality, not his nationality, not his socioeconomic group, not the country that he came from, not his, uh, his background or who was his mom and his daddy, but his compassion. His compassion. He went out of his way to help someone that he didn't even know. And it was because of compassion that he changed this man's life. Like, guys, I, I don't know that this Good Samaritan story was a, like a real life story. Surely it's happened many, many times. Jesus tells it as if it's kind of a, uh, like an Aesop's fable, you know, like a parable. Something to say, listen... This is an example of what I'm saying. But, but I want you to know, there are people around the world who get beat up and left for dead. And you know what happens to them? If no one helps them, they die. This guy, by a single act of compassion, saved this guy's life. And who knows what may have happened beyond that, if it was a real person. The Samaritan not only becomes a hero of the story, but the Samaritan, which the Jewish leaders would not have wanted us to even talk to, he becomes our example to follow. Jesus like, you want to love the world? You want to love your neighbors? Look at the Samaritan. Do what he did. As a church, I want to challenge us to be a people of compassion, godly compassion, with our eyes up, loving the world as we would want ourselves to be loved, responding to that knot in our gut when we see people who are hurting, and taking action, stopping to do whatever we can to bring change to someone's life. You know, this guy that was a Samaritan, you know what he wasn't? A doctor, or apparently an innkeeper. <laughs> But he did what he could. He helped the guy out. He took him to someone who could help. Every one of us have an opportunity every day, I'm sure of it, to do what we can to help. You're not going to be able to meet everybody's needs every time. But I'll tell you what you can do. You can love them. You can love them, whether it's a bottle of water, a hug, sit with them quietly while they cry. That's compassion. It's having the emotion but following it with action. And today we get the opportunity to reach way beyond this building, way beyond the city of Wilmington, way beyond the, the, the state of North Carolina, way beyond the United States, and down into South America. 
as we tap into a resource that the kingdom of God has, Compassion International, um, and be heroes to some kids. Uh, you've heard a lot over the past few weeks about it, and I don't want to just assume that everyone in here knows what Compassion International is or what it's all about. And so I've got a short video from Compassion that I'd love to show you that not only shows you about the kids' sponsorship, but actually how cool the mobilization of the church happens through Compassion International. Take a second to check out this video. The church is God's hope for the world. And right now, there are over 400 million children across the world living in extreme poverty. 400 million children in need of hope. This is why Compassion International exists. For over 60 years, Compassion has partnered with the church to release children from poverty in Jesus' name. At its core, Compassion is a child sponsorship organization, but it's a different kind of child sponsorship organization. So what does different look like? First, it looks like the church working together. We partner with churches in the U.S. to sponsor children and with over 6,000 churches in developing nations to deliver resources and programming to those children throughout their entire childhood. And regions where there is no church? Compassion partners with church planting networks and denominations in the U.S. and with indigenous networks abroad to plant new churches in these communities. And through these partnerships, the day each new church opens their doors, up to 200 neighborhood children are ready to be sponsored and on their way to being released from poverty. This kind of sponsorship looks like relationship. Compassion connects one child with one sponsor to help the child achieve his or her God-given potential. The relational investment made through a sponsor's letter to their child is often the thing that helps that child believe that they don't have to live in poverty forever. This kind of sponsorship looks like holistic care. Children sponsored through Compassion receive physical care, educational care, social care, and most importantly, spiritual care, all from their local church. Relationship with Jesus is the ultimate aim of everything we do. And in the last year alone, over 125,000 children made first-time decisions to follow Jesus. That's one every four minutes. And for your church, this kind of sponsorship looks like the Great Commission. By partnering with Compassion, your entire church is equipped to serve as global missionaries. And the result is that powerful transformation takes place on both sides. Children meet Jesus and are discipled in a local church. And here in the US, sponsors in your church become more globally aware, more engaged, and more generous. This is what sponsorship with Compassion looks like. This is what hope looks like. Hope. Hope is the thing that Jesus brings. And I've talked to people about other world religions, especially people who, uh, that, that is their faith. Uh, one of the things that consistently comes up is the idea of hope. Uh, because as a Christian, you have this idea of knowing who God is, that he's made a connection with you. And, and in so many other worldviews, it's like uh, not only the word hope still exists, but where it is, is like we, we can have hope through Jesus. In other worldviews, it is just, I just hope what I'm doing is right. Uh, there's, no, there's no real thing beyond that. Jesus brings connection with Jesus, and, and Compassion International helps that happen. Nearly 7,000 ch- churches in the poorest areas of the world reach out to care for vulnerable children in their communities. Collectively right now, Compassion International, through sponsorships with, with people like you, are supporting more than 1.7 million children worldwide who are living in poverty. And each child gets a new lease on life as they're cared for and they're taught about Jesus. I love that statistic. I think it was 125,000 kids just this past year made a decision to become a Christian themselves. And the light of Jesus' truth is transformative. 
There are thousands and thousands of stories of Compassion alumni, which is what they call uh, the kids who have grown up and now are adults. And the difference that they're making in the world now, that because they were given a leg up and they were given the love of Jesus, they were able to educate themselves, find themselves in good jobs, and help to improve on their community, bringing hope, peace, and truth to the places where they grew up, where otherwise there had been hopelessness. And it all happened because someone like you and someone like me took the time to pray for them, took the time to care for them, maybe even took the time to pick up a packet and sponsor them. Back in 2012, I had the chance to spend a week uh, with Compassion International in Ecuador. And I met the national director of the Ecuadorian um, chapter of Compassion. And with them, we were able to visit villages in several cities. And I got to meet the pastors and the volunteers for Compassion International. I got to meet the parents of sponsored kids. And the coolest thing was meeting the kids in the programs there getting to play soccer with them in the streets and going to school with them and just letting them tell me about how much they loved their sponsor. To bring me the letters that their sponsor had written and tell me the stories of things that had happened as they got grown up. Kids were plugged in with compassion and those kids that were plugged in with compassion and the church were obviously so much more healthy and better adjusted to living than the other kids that we came across. And we prayed for those kids and, and, and uh, compassion is reaching out to those areas because Jesus changed their life. He changed their families. Many of their parents come to Christ because of what the church is doing for their kids. They're like, man, if they're doing this for my kid, I guess I, guess I should go try something at the church. And before you know it, they hear about the truth of Jesus. It was while I was there uh, that I learned about Merrily. I got a picture of Merrily. This is Miriam. This is the little girl that my family sponsors. Uh, I didn't know her when we went there. Uh, in fact, um, I didn't get to meet her because uh, the, the way, where I was, was, it was crazy. I was like six miles from her house. I could have totally gone and knocked on her door and said, hey. Uh, but I didn't even know her yet. And as we were kind of debriefing from the trip, there were some of these compassion packets. And she was the one that I picked up. And she's the age uh, of my son, a little bit between my son and my daughter. And I was like, wow, this is this is it. And I read on the back of her card some of her story about her family. And I just felt moved by knowing this is a person with a name who has a need. And so for four years, my family, we've written letters back and forth to Merrily. It's been neat to watch her handwriting improve. It's been neat to watch her pictures come to us as she's drawn them in school and she's excited about what's going on in her life. Her dad's a fisherman. And they live right on the coast, uh, a couple miles from, from Manta, a big, big port city there, and, uh, but he's at sea most of the time, according to her letters, and so she's always asking for safety, prayers for safety for her dad. Her mom stays home and takes care of her and her siblings. Uh, last year, there was an earthquake in Ecuador. I know a lot of you sponsored children in Ecuador, and I remember seeing that earthquake, and our immediate thought was, wow, we know someone there, like a real person that we know and we've written letters with, and we, we were scared for her until Compassion, who does a great job staying in touch with the sponsors, emailed us and said, hey, we're checking on all the families that we know of. And then later we got an email saying, hey, we, we, we made contact with your family and everyone's okay. One day I hope to fly to Ecuador with my family, with my kids, my wife, and go to meet her and her family. Just hug her mom and say, hey, you've done good, you know. I'm glad we could do some, such a little thing that made such a big difference. To see what it's done for my kids, every night, as much as we can remember, we pray for Merrily. We don't know a whole lot about her, but we lift her up and we treat her like she's part of the family. Her picture hangs in our living room. And for them to remind me, Dad, we didn't pray for Merrily tonight, <laughs> makes me go, oh, man, yeah, we've got to do that. I tell you that not just to tug on your heartstrings, but to let you know, like, it, it makes a difference, not only in the life of the child, 
but in the life of the family that gets involved. And it teaches us something about the heart of God, which is a heart of compassion. A heart that sees the suffering of someone else and says, I've got to do something. Because the compassion of Jesus simply works. It works to change lives. It's working to change my life. Last night I found out about this, and I want to share it for you as a resource. Uh, Compassion International has an app. Uh, if you sponsor a child, I didn't even pay attention that they had an app, but I thought about it and went and found it. Uh, and they have an app, and if you have a child, do you know you can, you can download this, and you can actually, uh, you can, when you, I think you put in your email address or something, whatever you do. Oh, it's the, there's a, a member number that you have. You, you punch that in. It'll tell you a bunch of stuff about your kid. You can write them letters right here from the app. They can write you back, and it'll get scanned in. You can get it on your phone in addition to getting it in the mail. You can learn about things that are going on in their city, in their area. It's a cool thing. And the thing is that that begins to change your life because you remember it's not all about me and what I want for Christmas. It's about loving people with the love of Jesus. Guys, Jesus is the hope of the world. And that's what we talk about every week. That's why Venture Church exists. We say we're here to shine light into the darkness. And we take one week out of the year, we call it Compassion Sunday, and we've got these packets in the back and all that stuff I'm just about to tell you about in just a second. But man, I think that if we don't walk away from here changed, people who say, I see the suffering in the world, and I know that the only salvation for our nation right now is Jesus. It's not another election. It's not a fixed budget. It's not an insurance plan that works for everyone. It's Jesus. And when I look at so many of us in this community who are suffering through problems in our marriages or addictions or pain that are going on in our life, and I'm like, man, you know, what, you know what the solution to that is? It's Jesus. Because even if we fix those earthly problems, other earthly problems are going to fill their place eventually. But Jesus makes us whole spiritually. And he connects us with the God who loves us. It's because of his compassion that we have that opportunity to have new life. It's easy to be discouraged when we look at the craziness in the world. When we see the news and we're like, oh man, another shooting, another bad situation. And you ask yourself, what can I do to make a difference? I'll tell you how you make a difference. Cultivate a heart of compassion. So that when you see the pain, you do what you can do. And you go visit someone who's hurting and make them a meal and give them a hug and say hello and love them right where they are. Uh, today, I hope that you'll take action. And there's this one specific way that I, I can't overlook and say that, like, you know, it's no big deal. Like, we have today an opportunity to sponsor kids from Ecuador. At the back of the room right now, there are, I think a few have been picked up, but when we began this morning, there were 30 packets, each one of those packets with a face on it, representing a child. You can actually take a look at it and look on the inside, and it'll tell you a little bit of their story. And you can see that. And I want to encourage you to go check out that table before you leave. We're going to have it up for at least one more week. Uh, and if we need to do it one week after that, we will. Um, but go pick up one of those things. My challenge for you is, not, is don't just walk by like the priest and the Levite, okay? Do what you can. You might not have $38 a month in your budget. And if you don't, that's totally fine. That is completely okay. But don't just walk by. Here's what I encourage you to do. Take a second to walk by and, and, and say a name. Or pick up a packet and walk across the room and say a prayer for them. Or take a picture of a packet and take it home and, just, and then commit to praying for it for a week. Do something so that it can jumpstart in our mind. What do we do when we see that person on the side of the road who's broken down? What do we do when we see our neighbor who's struggling with something in the yard? What do we do when we see our family member who just needs a hand up? $38 a month, though, can change a life. 
If you're able, we've been talking about it for several weeks because we want you to prayerfully consider it. God loves a cheerful giver who gives from their heart what they've decided in advance to give. And so this is not a gift of compulsion or obligation. This is something that maybe since last year, you were like, you know what, I wasn't ready last year. But this year, I think I can do it. Grab a packet before you leave. Uh, you can take it home, and you can look at your finances, and you can even bring it back next week and just let us know, like, or just put it on the table. You don't even have to say anything. If you do decide to sponsor a child, uh, if you would, let, let myself or Emily Myers, she'll be the one at the table back there. Let us know because we'd love to keep a list of the people that have children so we can be praying for you. I want to give you a couple of other ways that you can help, though. The, the, the one way is through this catalog. This catalog is on the back of the table back there, and uh, it's got like one-time gifts. Uh, you can help cover the, the medical care for a baby. Uh, they have a whole other pro- program that deals with people, children that are five years old and younger. Uh, and for $60, uh, it'll go into a fund to help babies, many of them dealing with simple fixes like a cleft palate or little diseases that this needs some medicine. $60, a one-time gift, maybe $30 for textbooks for one of these compassion schools. Uh, you can buy a goat for somebody, which isn't that pretty sweet? Buy a goat for somebody for 100 bucks, uh, a bicycle for $100. There's several of these things. I take this, and, and this is something that we've done in our family, uh, if you've got someone in your family who you're like, eh, like your, your mother or someone who you're like, you know, I don't know what I would want to buy them, but maybe if I gave this gift in their honor, in their name, and put it under the tree and say, hey, look, Mom, this year I, I helped a family in Ecuador, and, and we got them a, a goat in your name. We did that for my mom one year, and she cried for like 10 minutes. It was, I did not expect that. It was like the saddest goat in the world. Um, don't, don't just walk by without doing nothing. Another way that you can be a part of this today, if you saw in the video, uh, the way that Compassion gets into these local communities is through the local church. They're not a, a, an American-based corporation. Uh, they work through the local church. And so there's a group called Stadia that actually helps start our church. They're, they're an organization. Uh, they're international. And they help start Venture Church. And one thing they do is start churches in some of these poor areas that have no churches. And so for something like $50,000, they can go to some of these poor areas. They can get a pastor on the ground, someone that's local to that area. They can build a building, and they can get the startings of a Compassion Center. Stadia has partnered with Compassion International, and they're working, they're pinpointing areas that are the highest risk areas, and they're planting churches in those areas. Uh, last year, earlier, earlier this year, back in April, our church leadership got together, and we decided uh, to commit $2,500 to this church plant opportunity in South America. And so that $2,500 was committed, and it was sent, and it was, it was an awesome gift. But as we began to talk, we were like, let's put this, extend this to uh, our whole church family. What if we could double that offering on Compassion Sunday? What if right here in this room, we have the capacity to gather another $2,500? This is outside of our tithes and offerings to help the ministry of Venture Church happen. This is something that maybe you had set aside for another need that you were going to cover. And you're like, you know what? I think I'm going to do something for somebody else today. And you put in a, a, a $50 gift. Maybe you've got like, you know, I could do $2,500 right now. Boom. We'll put that towards, straight to uh, Stadia. And, uh, and they will have a church planted. They've got, I think, something like, if I looked recently, I think it's between 30 and 50 new church plants this year that are going to be then in South America, uh, in, in uh, Peru, uh, Colombia, Ecuador, and in Mexico. And so, wow, we could be a part of that. Our church could take care of about 10% of a new church plant. And each church plant is the opportunity for 200 new kids to be sponsored through Compa- Compassion International. That could be another thing you did today. Uh, as you go today, uh, what, what I'd like to invite you to do is there, we'll have a bucket. Um, if we could just have, I need to say this to our volunteers because we didn't clarify today. If we could have a special bucket that one volunteer holds that's just for that compassion offering. If somebody could make sure that that's done. Brian, did you hear that? Make sure somebody back there hears that. That'll be just for the compassion bucket. And that'll be what we can do to raise the offering for that. Um,
And we'll let you know how it did. If we don't get the whole $2,500, we'll praise God for everything that comes. Guys, we're not a church that talks a lot about money. You know that. I tell you what, blessing other people who don't have the means that we have is one of the greatest ways to worship God because it's sacrificial. It says, God, it's not about me. It's about somebody else. Don't just walk by. As you go out into our city today, look for opportunities to show compassion. Don't let this just be a one Sunday shot thing where you're like, okay, we got through that Sunday. We love somebody around the world. That's great. Let's be a church that shines the light of Jesus through our compassion. Let me pray for you today. God, we love you. And as I think about the impact that our little church is having just on the families in this, in this room and, and, and our sphere of influence, I'm blown away. But when I think about the billions of Christians in the world and the impact that we're having on the global population, I'm just so thankful that you're a God of compassion. That you looked down and you saw our need and you stooped down to meet it. Help us to be people that don't just pass by. Help us do what we can, whatever that is, ever how small it could be. Maybe learn from your example. May we shine the light of compassion in this world. Help us through your love to make a difference. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.